I'm Brooke Lamb. And I'm Lindsay Sampson. And this is Kismet, a podcast exploring the big and small moments in life that change us. The moments where we brush up against something beyond ourselves. We hope you find here an invitation to notice more fully the presence of love in your own life and receive the gifts of the stories of others. Thanks for listening. Please be advised, this podcast includes discussions of difficult material such as suicide, death, loss, and other mental health struggles. We encourage you to take care of yourself and use discretion in whether or not this material is appropriate for you. everyone. We're really excited to get to share with you the first guest that we're having on our podcast. Um, this is a really exciting moment for us, and we were so privileged and grateful that Gert Comfrey was our first guest. As far as the audio today, um, we're still kind of figuring out how to how to do this thing, man. I've, I've never done this before. This is totally a learning process for me. Um, and so you'll find that some of the audio is a little bit unbalanced on this episode. However, we felt that the content and the conversation we had with Gert was so important and so meaningful that we were absolutely not going to allow that to keep us from presenting this and releasing this episode for you all. Hope you can just give us some grace as we figure out this whole process and I hope that you enjoy listening. Thanks. Welcome to our first official guest episode of Kismet. Yeah, so who do we have here? Hi, my name is Gert. Uh, yeah, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Gert and I know one another from therapy grad school, from internships specifically. We were not in the same grad program, unfortunately, because that would have been really fun. Mm. Basically, I feel like we learned how to like do the work that we do together. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, a therapist in private practice these days. And I also am like an educator. I give trainings on like gender sexuality, do community organizing work. So I grew up in central Pennsylvania, um, Harrisburg, capital. Um, and yeah, I went to, to college just like down the road from where I grew up in central Pennsylvania, a small, very small school called Elizabethtown College, um, where I studied religion and minored in math. When I graduated, I decided that I wanted to go to, to grad school and went to Vanderbilt Divinity School straight out of undergrad, got kind of burned out and yeah, took a little break and then uh, was sitting with these theological questions, but also these mental health questions really at this intersection of how do these um, religious contexts affect people's mental health and resiliency. Yeah. And then decided I wanted to go back to, to grad school to be a therapist what brought you to Divinity School in the first place? What were you wrestling with? What were you hoping to find? Ooh, uh, when I first came down to Div School here in Nashville, I was on like Hebrew Bible track. That was my major well, concentration in undergrad. And I thought I was going to be the next like PhD, you know, professor studying Hebrew Bible. And then very quickly, once I got to the Divinity School, I was like, oh, I'm actually really interested in like a lot of different religions and other like faith traditions and also yeah this question around like in the theological context like pastoral counseling pastoral care and that overlap with like mental health in general 
but I think also part of it was like at the time I wasn't like out to myself as queer, but there was this intuitive knowing of like, even if I got the MDiv, I couldn't be ordained in the tradition that I grew up in. So there was a little bit of like, I think this like deep knowing of like, oh yeah, there's not space for me in my theological tradition to even, so I grew up in the United Methodist Church, which I am pretty disconnected from now. I know there's been some schisms and (laughs) controversy around ordination and these types of, you know, gender sexuality questions. And I also grew up in a particular United Methodist Church that was really rooted in like community and a sense of how to, you know, being with each other, practicing hospitality, um, showing up for each other. I mean, my mom was really sick when I was a kid for a little bit. And like, those were the people who brought us meals. So yeah, just really at this intersection of having a beautiful model of how community looks. And there's some stuff we're not talking about. (laughs) And this idea of like silence is violence in this way. If we're not talking about sexuality or gender um, in these contexts, for me, it didn't make space. How would you describe what your spiritual life looks like now? Yeah, so I have moved away from Christianity. Um, I, I mean, I know it's a part of like my tradition. It's how I was raised up. So part of me, it's in a lot of ways an intrinsic part. Um, I think there's also, yeah, a lot of um, like Christian supremacy that still is a part of my mind and my worldview that I'm constantly staying curious about. And now I really see myself as like, I, I, I think the word like spiritual really resonates. Um, I really love this. I was telling Brooke earlier, I'm in this like queer magic circle. So I'm in, uh, yeah, just like being an intentional, like queer space where we're just really open with each other to explore like, what is, what is the magical, the mystical, our connection to spirit, the divine oneness. Like, yeah, there's lots of ways and lots of language that we use, um, and, and we'll welcome whatever resonates for each person, right? There isn't a lot of like shoulds. It's really just like, yeah, like what's, what's emerging for you? I've been thinking a lot lately about canonization, like Mm -hmm. that we have this sacred text that a group of people just made decisions about what is sacred and what is not sacred. I guess I've been sort of wrestling a little bit with the question of what does it look like to make your own canon, the canon of your life, maybe your family canon, what has to be true about texts that you feel are sacred. So I I guess I, I wonder whether there's any texts, biblical or not, that to you feel like they are part of your sacred canon or help mm. you sort of connect to um, the the bigness, the oneness? Yeah, there's some like books that we've been reading in my queer magic circle, which feel really informative. There's one, I think it's called Queer Magic is like the, the book title. Um, yeah, we've also been reading some books out of like the reclaiming tradition. So like Starhawk, I don't know if y'all are familiar with her, but she's like a, a teacher but yeah, so some of like Starhawk's writings are are really powerful texts. I also think about as like um, stuff beyond like ri- the written word. Like I'm thinking about like songs that like come up for me, like and just learning. Um, yeah, it's like different songs in our group feels like really really sweet and precious. Oh, I can't think of any now, but like just this idea of like being like, hey, I learned this song or this song that I had from when I was a kid. Like oh, like I remember this this moment where you know my babysitter taught me this thing and it's like oh like that stuck with you all these years and now you're sharing it with me like I couldn't sing it back to y'all but like we sang it together and it was really precious um so this idea of like yeah what's in our like songbook um feels really up 
And I think just like rituals and practices. Um, for me, it's even like the little rituals of like how I start my day, like how I, yeah, how I am in my home, like how I am with the light in the morning, like just kind of living ritual. And I, it's funny because I've actually been uh, this week also like sitting with the canonization, which is mm. very funny. <laughs> I told Gert earlier, I said, when I met Lindsay, I felt like I met like someone else who's like made of the same stuff as me. Mm is yeah. such a gift but that how like some of the books that Martin Luther took out of the Apocrypha or took excuse me out of the canon that are now part of the quote-unquote Apocrypha include some really badass stories about women Gospel of Mary doing yeah Mary. Uh, Judith mm. Judith is mm. literally a story about a woman who I mean, I, obviously we're not like pro cutting heads off here but right we're thinking like ancient tribal texts she went to the enemy, enemy camp, stuck in there, cut off the head of the bad guy or whoever it was, the enemy, came back, and then all the Israelite men wanted to marry her, and she said no. The end. <laughs> Recanonized <laughs> Judith. Justice for Judith. Right? Seriously. But, like, I see that, and I'm like, I, as a little girl, I wish I'd heard that story. Mm-hmm. And how might things have been different if I had? I mean, I think it goes back to this question around authority, right? Like, who has the authority to decide what or what isn't, is or isn't sacred? Um, and, like, who's calling those shots? And, yeah, I think part of, yeah, me being in my own, like, theological and, like, spiritual practice has been, like, claiming my own, like, authority. It's like, oh, there's some, like, deep wisdom over here in my mind, my heart, my body. The Kismet Podcast is sponsored by Abide Counseling. Abide Counseling is um, actually my therapy practice in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, and now opening a location beginning June 1st in the Berry Hill neighborhood of Nashville, Tennessee. We're a small group practice of like-minded clinicians, therapists who desire to do deep, transformative work with clients who are hoping to really invest in their therapy and are ready to do the deep work facing their trauma clearing out their inner experience so that they can really fully receive love and offer love, um, living in harmonious relationship with self and others. So abidecounselors.com is the website if you want to check us out. We appreciate the support of Abide Counseling as the sponsor for this first season of Kismet. Thank you so much for listening. Shall we get into... Our question, hearing about a moment. So um, we all know from the first episode what our podcast here is about, is about us taking the time to really listen and sort of zoom in and explore with you um, to the extent that you're comfortable, your um, experience of a moment in your life that's been transformational. Yeah, thank you for this invitation. As I was thinking about this moment, I realized I was like, oh, I think it will be difficult to tell this in a linear way, which I think is noteworthy in this sense of like, oh, right. Yeah, there's a, a, a non-linear linearity to this. I think it also speaks to like the ways that like in these this moment for me, time was really queered. So I was like, oh, I was living in multiple like moments at the same time. Right. Gosh, I'm trying. I've been also trying to figure out the timeline, which is so tricky because it's connected to, to something that happened in 2006. It's also connected to something that happened in like 20, I think 13, 14, right before I met you, actually. Yeah, and then right, of course, the present day. Um, but like the moment happened in this like 2013, 2014 time. 
There was a moment where I was literally, I think, like getting ready, like one morning, standing in front of this mirror, this place that I lived in had a huge mirror in the bathroom. I was like listening to some music. So this was not a playlist. It was completely a random Pandora of like radio situation. I had been in grad school, so I've been doing a lot of self-work. I was just like in this, in this moment, just getting ready, looking in the mirror, and then the song comes on. And I instantly had this moment of being transported back to 2006. And 2006 was a year when I was in undergrad. I was working um, that summer in the admissions office, um, just living a really sweet and beautiful life. This was the first year um, that there were no non-men in the admissions office. So everyone that was giving tours was either like a woman or non-binary. And I got really close to my friend Caitlin, who was also my my teammate, who was uh, on track the track team with me. And that summer we just played this album. It was the Fray, their album, How to Save a Life. Like that album, we like played it out that album that summer. So I, yeah, in this moment, and you know, I was just taken back to to that summer of 2006. And I was also taken back to that fall, Caitlin died by suicide. And it was a really like jarring for me on like multiple levels at the time it was this is my friend this is my teammate this is someone I was really close to over the summer I was really confused and I was in the process of making sense of her death was not coping well had very little support and like was developing PTSD and I was you know a couple years later in therapy And my therapist and I could not, like, we were just trying to figure out, like, what, like, what was so scary about, like, this person's death? Like, yeah, it was, like, scary. It was hard. It was unexpected. But there was a piece that was just, like, not, not quite clicking. There was just some disconnect. And, like, I did some EMDR work, which was beautiful and really healing and deeply impactful in, in me, like, working through the PTSD symptoms. But I still wasn't getting to, like, the heart of it. Like, what was so distressing? So then cut to me getting ready in my bathroom. This song comes on from this album. And I just had this moment where I literally just felt like my whole body like opened up. And I, I, I'm like lifting my hands above my head kind of in this like crown kind of way. But like it just felt like I got this huge download from the universe. Like this just portal opened up above my head. And, and it just felt like this energy washed down over my body. And I finally understood. I was like, oh, that was so scary. Caitlin's death was so scary to me because it, it brought to light like my own mortality, particularly around being queer. And I was like, oh, yeah. Caitlin was trying to figure out her own sexuality at that time. I also was like right on the precipice of figuring some stuff out. And... As soon as she died, I shut that down. Like there was no space. There was no, it was a non-option for me because it literally meant or the threat of death was like so there. So then, you know, years later, I finally have some safety. I've done some healing and some work, creating some cracks open. And this just like beautiful like download came through where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm queer. I'm queer as fuck. <laughs> like, but I needed this like this moment of being safe in my home, of being almost like shepherded by this like song or this like moment to just have a 
a like realization of like, oh, this is why. Like, oh, here I am. Like, this is this is what I this is who I am. Just look at myself in the mirror as I'm getting ready. Oh, hi, I see you. And I didn't even have the words to describe this as like a spiritual experience necessarily until I was coming out to my parents. Like that Mother's Day, just casually, it was like, oh, I think I need to tell you all something. But I explained this experience to my family, and my dad was like, Oh, this sounds like this sounds like a deep spiritual experience. This sounds like Paul on the road to Damascus, like that kind of. I feel as though so often there is a severing of like that experience is so separate from the divine and the idea that it's so vulnerable to come out to your parents. To have that experience and have it immediately meshed in with the divine is like, that's, that's so good. Yeah. And so unexpected. I had thought, you know, I thought my dad was going to be like, this is incompatible, you know. But yeah, for me to realize in this moment, oh yeah, my queerness is in, intrinsically linked to my understanding of spirituality. It's intrinsically linked to my um, connection to like the divine, um, that this portal has been opened, that I really shut it off for, you know, my own survival sake at the time. Side note, when my when I came out, my dad had this comment about spirituality and like, ooh, it sounds like a really spiritual experience. My mom asked me when I was coming out, because I was just coming out as queer at this point. My mom asked me, can I like, can I still call you my daughter? Can I still refer to you as my daughter? And at the time I was like, yeah, sure, mom. Like, yeah, gender is different than sexuality. And there was a part of her that was seeing me like, and knowing like maybe gender's a thing, but she didn't push it. And, you know, then a couple of years later I was like, actually I'm not binary and it's they, them. <laughs> so, right. Right. but yeah, just like being seen in these, these two very like precious ways by my parents. What a gift. I have so many reactions in terms of like, oh, this tells me so much about the way that the universe is and the way that the universe functions and the way that the universe tends to us. It didn't quite feel like synchronicity or like, oh, this is the right time, but it kind of did. Like, this is the right time for me to learn this information. Um, I had been like in my healing process um, to a point where I could actually say like, oh, I can look at this part of myself with love and acceptance. I mean, it's not a coincidence, right? I went to the Divinity School at Vanderbilt where queer folk are just showing up and, and there was just a really shut down part of me that needed to see like, oh, the universe or whatever, like brought me to places where I could get some corrective experiences, some alternatives that say, oh, you can be fully queer and be fully here and, and fully in your, your power. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, the universe is, is, uh, patient and and strategic and generous and benevolent in those ways patient is the first word that came to mind for me too this like the universe is just waiting for us to become and it's you never arrive but it's planting all these little seeds and whenever we're ready and and there's there there isn't a world where we miss it Mm. it's all like everything is here for our taking in our exploration and just this idea that like that song came on at exactly the right time and if it had come on a year prior it would have just been a song that was kind of like a strange and jarring and uncomfortable but I hit skip yeah not here for it not ready and just Mm -hmm. we're gonna set this incredibly intricate foundation such that you are safe enough 
and receptive enough and and just in enough of a place where this is going to be a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think that patience point is really important too because I think some folks have shame around like when they come out. And like for me, it was just like, oh no, like I was maybe 26, 27, 28, maybe. Again, the math feels so fuzzy. Um, I'm like, yeah, I didn't know till I knew. And I think, yeah, like there's this sense of like, oh, I should have known or like, oh, lost time or like all these narratives that, or inner critic stuff that could get really wrapped up in. And it's just like, oh, no, wasn't time. In therapy, like something we talk about a lot is the concept of readiness. Mm. And you know, I think we hear that a lot from people who are recovering from something or perhaps uh, are experiencing regret or remorse over something they've done that was harmful or whatever. And again, I think it's a very natural human response to say like, I should have known sooner or why, you know, what do I do with all these years? Like I experienced that a lot when I recovered from my eating disorder was like, this is so clear to me now, like, why it was not clear 10 years ago or whatever, and, like, we're not ready till we're ready, yeah. and I love that idea that, like, it, you almost, you can't even remember the exact timeline, because in reality, this is, like, so much bigger than, like, when it happened. Yeah. You know, we live in these bodies day to day, and so we can just get so slogged down in the day to day why am I not getting better? Why is this not changing? You know, I'm not, I don't feel ready yet. Am I ever going to be ready Mm -hmm. to come out or to acknowledge this habit or to look at my trauma or whatever? And yet God or the universe or whatever, like operates in the big picture. And that's something I I love about IFS, internal family systems. I think we talked about a little bit is that self which is like what we would say is like you, like the real you, the you, you, the you that's eternally here, was here before, will be here forever, like that you, has no sense of rush and no sense of pressure on, we've got to do this now. It's like, oh, you're not ready? Tell me about that. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you don't feel ready. Let's just be in that not ready place together. And... Ugh, it gives me chills mm-hmm. to think about, especially knowing you, and, and I won't tell your story for you, but knowing, like, what happened after that mm. and the path that you've taken and the ways that, like, you have emerged into this really powerful force for marginalized communities and the activism and everything that you do. I know you would say that when Trump was elected president is when you were fully radicalized. Sure. And I think that's, like... It's not a coincidence that this was like a couple years before that. This is often (laughs) in like the trans community. We talk about this like ally to like trans pipeline where it's like, I'm going to be a big like ally advocate like for trans folks. And then it's like, oh, wait, I think I'm actually trans. I think there was probably a little bit of that happening for me too. Like, oh, I'm like this huge like LGBT ally. And then I'm like, oh, no, I think I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm gay. Yeah, (laughs) maybe I just am that. I am in solidarity. Wait, I I am. No, I just am. But it's part of that like readiness piece. Like, like how, like, can I get close to this community, be in the active struggle? For me, unfortunately, right with my friend's death, like the, the struggle became just like up close and very scary and took some time for me to get to a place of like, okay, I can be in this. I can be close to this. I can identify. I can truly like 
see who I am and be who I am. I'm in the process uh, with my partner of growing, uh, we're starting a garden and we, we planted seedlings a couple Sundays ago. And so we've got eight, we've got a row of, you know, in those, in that little like plastic container you get from Home Depot with all the tiny little pockets for, for dirt. And there's, you know, bell peppers and tomatoes and cabbage and, and all these different little things. And every day we like check to see which ones have sprouted and which ones haven't. And certain varieties of vegetable just spend a little bit longer underground. Mm -hmm. They're still growing. They're still doing their thing. And it's, it just plant by plant, some plants grow in the dark and some plants grow up really fast Mm -hmm. and it doesn't actually matter. Like they're kind of all going to go in the ground at the same time. So we're all growing and the outward expression of that growth is going to change person to person and, but like nothing is wasted. Growth is happening regardless. Mm -hmm. And it's just a beautiful Mm -hmm. reminder that the things that look to us like, Oh, that's when I finally became X, Y, Z. It's like, actually you were becoming Mm -hmm. the whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're becoming now. So there's no arrival. There's no moment where you finally reached it. It makes me think about the parable of, first I thought about the sower, but that's not even what feels relevant right now. The, the, one of the laborers, Jesus talks about the, the guy who hired laborers and he hired some in the morning and then he hired some midday and some in the evening, but he paid them all the same thing. Right. And like how to us, we're like, well, but. I worked longer than him or whatever. And, and it's like, well, but we don't, we don't know what was happening with that person. Mm-hmm. And like something I love to think about in my own story, but also for others is that like that was already known about you mm-hmm. because you are you and mm-hmm. you have always been you and you will always be you. Mm-hmm. And that you are already like held in, in that and beloved in that and just the gentle kindness of yeah you're gonna learn that soon and I'm just gonna be here with you as you do and I love that piece around like yeah like I've always been queer like I think that's been a huge part of yeah the the reclaiming like reclaiming my childhood and saying like oh yeah little girl like I see you I see you little queer kid like Mm -hmm. figuring stuff out over there and yeah, just in my own like inner child work of saying like, yeah, this is this is a part of it's always been with you. We haven't always known, and now we do. Yeah, just really tending to that like part of myself and grieving that I did not have spaciousness when I was a kid. That I grew up in that kind of theological tradition that was so silent about topics or like talked about it, but in these ways where I was like, what? Like, okay. I mean, yeah, it's just homophobic, transphobic. Yeah, there wasn't in practice like opportunities for you to just explore developing into the person that you are. I'm curious how it sits with you now, like seeing a movement of people who are doing that differently or trying to do that differently or trying to like create those spaces for children. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's coming, what's coming up for me now is another word that I feel like the universe or like the divine is, which is just really spacious. Like, and this idea of making spaciousness for like our, our kids, our little, little young people is like, oh yeah, just that feels so aligned in how I understand like what I needed back then. Like, oh yeah, I needed some spaciousness. And I feel so encouraged that like young folks, little, you know, our littlest ones are having 
some opportunities to um, tell us who they are rather than us like prescribing or telling them who they are. Um, yeah. And we still, I mean, of course, need to like, you know, support and guide our kids, right? Like, yeah, like it's the both and. Um, but yeah, there's, I feel really hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what you feel in your body when you talk about this. Mm. Yeah, it kind of takes me back to that moment of just being like, oh, here comes the download. Um, yeah, which was. Yeah, just like core knowing. So I think in my body, like actually like in my core, in my gut, just like this real solid, like, oh yeah, here we are. Just kind of this upright, deep knowing. I think in the moment, like when it happened, I probably like started crying. I was probably just like, oh my God, right? <laughs> um, but now I can look back on that and be like, yeah, like that was, that was the moment. That was the time. Um, just some like pride really, really like shows up like in my chest, like oh, shoulders are back a little bit more. If you're enjoying the content that you're hearing here today, we would absolutely love the privilege to be able to make more podcasts for you and create more content that draws you deeper into relationship with yourself and more awareness of love in your life. Um, And if these stories and these conversations are doing that for you, please go to our our website, kismet-podcast.com slash support. It would mean the world to us for you to rate and review us. There also is a place you can donate to a fund that we have purely so that we can cover our operating costs. Also just want to um, acknowledge the people who you don't see or hear rather who've helped create these podcasts. Ben Oksher is um, our editor. He's done just a fantastic job of um, helping everything flow together and sound a lot more seamless to you all than it did to us when we originally recorded it. Ariana Evans who lent me all of her (laughs) equipment as I was beginning to figure out how to even do this podcasting thing. It's been such a learning adventure. My husband, Jake, who has supported us in uh, allowing us to use this closet. (laughs) Literally, we record in our closet in our bedroom at our house, so. (laughs) And just his support and all of our friends and family who have been excited for us as we've done this fun, creative thing. So, If you feel so led, if you feel inclined, if this has been a positive place for you and you want to contribute to creating more, uh, you can do that on our website and the Support Kismet link. Thank you so much for listening. You used this phrase um, or this word when you told the story, and I think it only caught me the second time you said it. You said download. And there's something about, Mm -hmm. you mentioned the sort of queering of time of we see, we experience life as linear, but when we think about divinity, it's non, it's deeply nonlinear. And this idea that we can be living life forward and this moment happens that recodes everything back. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you sort of re-experience your whole life again through, with this new lens. And maybe it's, again, this idea of like, nothing is lost. It's like no moment is really just one way Mm -hmm. because something could happen that then makes you put that in a totally different category or, or don't, you know, fail to categorize it at all. Or just, we see everything as super linear. And then we have these moments of expansiveness or spaciousness where you realize that life is actually big and swirly and nonlinear and beautiful. Mm -hmm. We don't have to feel as though 
you know, if I'm not going forward, I'm going back. Like, nope, we're just going. Healing does happen backwards too. You know, I think for me, that's like the importance. I, I totally try to practice this because this is so grounding for me is that, that remember what God has done idea of mm-hmm. like, remember, remember the things that at one point you were so concerned about that now we're so different or you're just not, or, I mean, there are times when I thought I would never feel X, Y, Z, or I could never be free from, you know, diet culture or whatever. And, and then to look back and be like, oh, but, but I am, or like, look how that experience that I had, yeah, changed in this way or like nothing is lost. I think that that's the power of like the stories that that we tell of redemption right it's like why I do think why like where so many of us are so drawn to to that or to Jesus or to you know to people who have these stories of saying like all that stuff that you think is gone it's not gone Mm -hmm. it never was gone I also think about often think about um this experience as like an initiation um like I went to Vanderbilt school of the prophets like that phrase kind of resonated with me, right? Like finding my prophetic voice, but then really being like, oh, right. Like this initiation or this, this moment of being like, oh, here it is. Like here I am. And being a prophet to myself first, mm-hmm. right? Coming out to myself first. Um, like, oh, I'm speaking like truth and this beautiful good news, right? Like to myself. And then realizing, oh, okay, there's something else here. And I think it's connected to this lineage of like queer people just really being like the truth tellers and a lot of across cultures and across time, um, being the healers. You mentioned this a little bit last week, but yeah, being the folks who are sometimes still at the margins, but doing the, doing the work of um, the prophetic work, um, speaking truth to power. I'm curious, what did you gain from this moment that you may want others to understand? I really want to drive home that point that we mentioned earlier around like, yeah, that your timing is right. And that like individuals, like there's no shoulds around coming out or like there's no rush. There's no like virtue in coming out when you're, you know, four or 13 or 20, like, or 80, like this timeline piece just feels really up. And, and I want to remind myself, there are still moments where that shame can show up like, oh, I should have known sooner. It's like, no. Yeah, this piece around the inherent like divinity of like queer people just feels really important to to lift up, especially in these really difficult like times. I know there's that verse in the Bible that like prophets will be like turned away or killed even in their hometowns or whatever. And I, I think about yeah, the prophetic voices of people of, of all people in all margins, um, but particularly like queer folk. Or people at like intersecting identities, um, like queer people of color, um, like disabled queer people, just like the voice of the divine that that comes from the margins. Yeah, I think there's also like a part of me that really wants to like remember Caitlin. And I like grieve the ways that like, yeah, systems and structures in the world make like death by suicide sometimes like the thing that people do my hope is that people who are in a similar situation to her like find spaces where they're like deeply loved and affirmed and 
And I also know that those are hard to come by sometimes. So, yeah, I was really angry at her for a long time. And then I, like, realized, like, oh, what's this anger really about? Yeah, it's the world's, like, our death-dealing systems and structures and cultures that are death-dealing. That I'm really angry at them. And it's the kind of righteous anger, (laughs) the anger that, like, is, like, fueled by, like, fire and transformation and that type of alchemy, Um, which is, yeah, also part of my, like, spiritual practice, really tuning into, like, the elements, trusting that nature has got us, that I am of nature, that we are of nature, um, that I am, yeah, beloved creation made in the image of the divine. Um, It became so real to you that this stuff really is about it's life or death yeah like we're not we're not dealing with like we don't want to hurt people's feelings this is the powers of life and the powers of death Mm -hmm. that we are um, asked to face yeah yeah i do fear or worry that the powers that be know that they know that it's life or death and are hoping that it will be death dealing, right? The hope that these like this legislation will be death dealing, that it will be um I mean genocide, right? Like this is the hope to like exterminate like people. So that's my fear, my cynicism or my anger showing up. And I also have a lot of hope in like the work that I do and like supporting and creating affirming spaces for like queer and trans people and supporting like families to make space for their, you know, queer and trans kids. Where it's like, yeah. Like, this is life-saving work. I think it's a reminder that really in any moment of our lives, there is an opportunity to do that, like, imaginative work, that, like, almost, like, midrashic work of, like, what is what are all the things that, that brought me here, all the things that led to this decision? Like, let's imagine all these different timelines and, like, imagine the the creativity of God or the creativity of the universe, everything that, that brought us to any one of our big decisions or revelations. And I am encouraged that each one of us cares deeply about something. Each one of us has work to do and it comes from somewhere. It is in some ways, I don't want to say planted in us because that I, I don't think that that gives enough credit to our own individual agency, but the divine knows who we are and who we've always been. Mm-hmm. And it's patient enough to let us realize it on our own. Mm-hmm. And it's spacious and not as concerned about timing as mm-hmm. we are. And I think it just makes me feel like I don't have to strain so hard yeah. to achieve or become or, you know, explore until I find it's it's a lot less about discovery and a lot more about exploration I think discovery makes it feel like you have to work really hard to find something right it's the goal you gotta get there yeah Yeah. and there isn't one thing it's so much more about just like there is this enormous landscape Mm -hmm. go poke around see what you find have fun have fun go play all of this is for you and all of this is for all of us and there's this beautiful like the idea that we can have that for ourselves and also the idea that we can create that for others is like 
there are these fake gates, what what does it look like for our work to just be opening some gates and making sure that they never lock again? Um, it just feels like really important, really beautiful work. Well, before we wrap up, I want to give my I want to give my love letter to Gert because I want people to hear this, and I think um, I especially want people to hear this who come from the background that I come from, which is very evangelical, um, kind of black and white, sola scriptura kind of, mm-hmm. you know, background. And I've told you this before, but I don't know if, if I've ever told you, like, how much your presence in my life and now hearing about this moment, mm-hmm. this moment... Like, I love thinking about how, like, God also knew that that was going to impact me. I knew that you were, like, connected to God and the divine. Mm. And I just knew it, like, in my body and in my soul and in working alongside you and being in a relationship with you. And that was when those narratives started in my mind to go... I have to be brave enough to say, like, I can't do that anymore. Because I, because what I've been taught up here in my head, it's, I, it's not true. And I, and I know it. And I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. And I can trust in that. And it, and it was the beginning, and, and lots of stuff happened since then and, and everything. But I just will always be so grateful for you and your bravery. Thank you. Yeah, I always felt like you were pursuing friendship with me in this way that was in like such like good faith. Just constantly Brooke was always just like I want to hang out. Like like tell me what you think about this. Like just so I just felt so pursued in friendship by you and I still do. And yeah, that you were someone who was just in such good faith saying like staying open and curious to me so I was like well how can I I mean how could I say no like right how could I not dive into this like type of dynamic so well I just want you to know thank you Brock (laughs) yeah it's wild that's right. Like this happened before. I even said it at the top of this like recording. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this happened right before I met you kind of. And I didn't know that. That is so interesting to me. I thought when I met you, I thought like, I don't know why I assumed this, but I just was like, you were so cool with yourself that I just like would have assumed that you'd been out forever. <sighs> yeah. I think that's part of it that it was just like, like, okay, here I am. That's what alignment does. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 Carry on. <laughs> yeah. 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 You were just like, I'm here and I'm going to date Abby. And <laughs> right. <laughs> Abby was our, like, uh, I think she still is, right? She I think still so. Is, like, intake, like, office manager person. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Hi, yeah, Abby. I, I have, I have. Hi, Abby. Hi, Abby. Hope you're doing you. well. I think she just got engaged, actually. What? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, but yeah, just like, I would never have known that. And so then hearing that, it just encourages me even more, like, mm. that this is this is how healing works. It's it's uh, collective. Mm. Yeah. Like, when you heal, I heal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We will see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening. Look forward to hearing your thoughts and anything that we referenced today as far as like 
books, materials, and stuff will be in the show notes. This must be